The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Game Podcast Scenario is brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Out the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. We're also brought to you by the Hockey Gambling Podcast new YouTube page. The hockey guys are giving away a hoodie to celebrate their new YouTube channel. Register today at sportscampodcast.com slash HGP. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast Network. It is currently Sunday, January 7th. I'm your host, always Scott Reichel, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a longer episode because we do have to preview two ATP events in this episode. We're going to preview Adelaide, and we're going to preview Auckland, which are the final two warm-up tournaments for the Australian Open. So we're going to preview those two. I do have quarter odds on one of the two events, so we are going to be doing quarter analysis as well. For at least one of the events, before getting to any of that, do want to recap what happened in the finals that took place on Sunday, both in Brisbane and in Hong Kong. So starting off with the Lock and Dog picks, unfortunately, both events were really underwhelming for us for the Lock and Dog picks. On the bright side, we did have Rublev to win the event in the pre-tournament preview episode. So the point is we did have Rublev and Cashin outright, so that worked out well. But unfortunately, the Lock and Dog picks just weren't there. Uh, for those two tournaments. So to recap the lock and dog picks for Sunday, we ended up doubling down on the over in the Rublev and Rusevori final in Hong Kong. And that didn't get there. As we let the over 21 and a half games, we needed one more hold from Rusevori. It was 4-4 in the second set. One more hold than we win. And he got broken to love. So the point is, Rusevori kind of choked it as we had a chance there to get the win. But either way, Rublev was the more comfortable player the entire way through. I was a little bit concerned going in for Rusevori's odds of winning the match that the two players played pretty similar stylistically. And I thought that you're going to end up seeing Rublev eventually wear down Rusevori over those three sets. The problem was it didn't take three sets. Uh, Rusevori was kind of just all over the place with unforced errors. Rublev was more consistent. He was serving better. I believe Rublev only faced one break point in the entire match. So the point is Rublev was just better, simply put, and he ended up picking up another title to add to his resume. But the over didn't get there for games. The over for sets didn't get there either. So I ended up going 0-2 with the lock and dog picks. Once again, just a really bad tournament, uh, tournament for me. Actually, two tournaments because uh, Brisbane wasn't great for the lock and dog picks either. But it is a bit tricky early in the year when you're trying to figure out the form that each player is in. And as a result, we came out a bit rusty. A long way to go in 2024. We'll snap out of it and hopefully we'll take that first step here in the Auckland and Adelaide tournaments. As for the other event in Brisbane for the final, we ended up getting that one right. We did think it would go over in sets as well with Rune and Dimitrov, but the games got there at 22 and a half, barely, as it landed 23, and we did a link to Dimitrov to actually get the job done at around even money, and he got it done in straight sets. Congrats to Dimitrov. It's the first title that he's won since 2017. Good for him. He's been a meme on this show for a long time because I would always kind of tease the fact that he was always unable to win. That meme is officially over, and I will give respect because he's earned it, and I thought that he played... The best tournament he's played in a long time, not just because he won the event, but just based on how dominant he looked. He didn't drop a set since the first set against Murray, so he was rolling. And I feel like the main story of that final, very entertaining match, though, for straight sets. 
I just thought Dimitrov was the aggressor, and I thought that he looked extremely comfortable dictating the points. And that was something that I noticed earlier on in the event. Uh, mostly, I think it was in the Hitchikata match where I just saw how badly he buried Hitchikata. I thought he would, but then I watched it, and I just realized that Dimitrov used to be this extremely passive backhand slice guy, at least in some big moments. And to be fair, he did kind of revert back to that on occasion in that Rune match where it just seemed like he was slicing every backhand return right up the middle of the court. But for the most part, he was willing to unload the backhand. It was one of his best shots throughout the entire event. And he was able to hit a great shot, charge the net, end the point quickly. And I was really a fan of his game plan entering the event. And I do think that if he can maintain this form, he might be able to make an Aussie Open semifinal. I'm not saying he's going to win an event, a Grand Slam title, but I do think he actually has the game and the current form that can translate to a pretty successful run here in the Australian Open. Last year, it was, unfor it was unfortunate for him. He had to run up against Djokovic, uh, but he ended up giving Djokovic a difficult battle for a couple of those sets, but couldn't win any of them, as Djokovic did beat him in straight sets. Either way, though, the point is congrats to Dimitrov, who finally got over the hump and won his first ATP title in a long time. The meme is dead. Maybe we'll back him at some point in the future. We did back him in this event in the semifinal match, and he ended up pushing for us. But still, the point is Dimitrov did win a title. Good for him. As for Rune, really no need to feel discouraged if you're him. Dimitrov just played a great match. Just simply put, Rune gave Dimitrov a difficult time. Uh, couldn't convert any break points, though. That's kind of the story of the match where both players had chances early on. Nobody converted. Dimitrov won the breaker, and then Dimitrov got the only break in the entire match. But Rune was struggling for a decent portion of the match to actually hold. And it felt like Dimitrov was having easy holds to Lover to 15 throughout the entire match. You had one insane game uh, that Rune was serving on, which took about, I don't even know, 10, 15 minutes, where Dimitrov had a bunch of break points. Rune held them off, and then he eventually held. But the constant pressure eventually broke Rune, and you saw Dimitrov get it done. So congrats to him. Congrats to Rublev. And hopefully they'll continue to do bigger and better things here in the Aussie Open. But as for the actual tournaments, and we're going to get into that in a second, do want to mention one piece of news, a pretty important piece of news that dropped at about, I don't even know, 3, 4 a.m. Eastern time, which was another addition to the withdrawal list for the Australian Open, Rafael Nadal. And he will officially not be participating in the Australian Open. There are a couple ways to take this. Because on one hand, you can argue, well, maybe Nadal rushed back too quickly. And maybe that was a lapse in judgment on his part. I don't believe that. He won the first two matches of Brisbane pretty comfortably. And he looked really good. I know the match against Thompson was a war. It was three plus hours. But... I'm not going to say somebody rushed back early from injury if he got through two complete matches. And maybe Nadal thought he was ready. You know, simply put, you can argue it's a lapse in judgment, but he wasn't playing for about a year. So I think a year is a decent layoff in that case. So I just feel like it was a spot where Nadal wasn't officially injured as far as I was concerned. It seemed like he realized, listen, I might be decent in two out of three set matches, but three out of five in Australia, it might be too difficult for my body. And I don't think I'm ready for it. So I do think it might have been a preemptive decision by Nadal where maybe he wasn't feeling that bad, but he decided it was probably in my best interest moving forward, particularly to the clay season, if I just don't overexert myself and I save some stamina 
for the French Open and for the clay season. So, of course, it's unfortunate because anytime you want to see Djokovic and Nadal, two of the last, uh, two of the three remaining big three members, it, it's going to suck anytime that one of the two misses it. But the point is, I do think that I have to at least point out Nadal's decision, even though it's pretty disappointing for fans. It makes some sense. If he thinks he's not ready for three out of five, why should he force it on the fans' behalf? This might be his final season. He doesn't want to potentially sabotage it by overexerting himself in January. So I understand the decision. I respect it. It's unfortunate for tennis fans. But I want to always mention it. Nadal is out of the Australian Open. So if you were expecting to see him, I got some bad news for you. As for everything else, don't really have much more to add. I do want to briefly touch upon the United Cup as well as the... Uh, final that we saw between Sabalenka and Rabakina on Sunday. Starting off the United Cup, it was a very entertaining tournament. It was successful. You saw Germany lift the title. As you saw, Zverev really put the entire team on his back because you figured after having marathon match after marathon match, had the insanely long match against Dimenauer, and then had a mixed doubles match the day prior, and then he has to face off against Hercatch, and you kind of just figured that Zverev... If he was at full strength, it's probably beat her catch. But with the amount of tennis he played, there was a chance that Pete, that he was going to get buried because I just wasn't sure how much he had left in the tank. He talked about how he went to bed at like five in the morning the day prior and how he was cramping. And you figure, all right, that much tennis involved. Maybe him, he won't be able to handle it physically. And he did as he was able to win in three. Very entertaining, fun final uh, that actually kept Germany alive because you saw Kerber lose to Swiatek. And then uh, you ended up seeing Zverev win the mixed doubles uh, tiebreaker to win Germany a title. So congrats to Germany. Zverev put the team on his back. Her catch played hard, but Zverev was just a little bit better. And that was the story in that tournament. Pretty fun event overall. I still think it's weird that you're doing nation competitions with a mixed doubles tiebreak, but it counts towards ATP rankings in the matches, which I kind of think is a weird hybrid. But either way, the point is it was a fun event. And I look forward to following it in the future. As for the women's final, you saw what looked like a very good matchup on paper. Two of the big three facing off in the final as you ended up seeing Sabalenka taking on Rabakina. And you figured, okay, should be a fun match. It was a fun match for one person. It was a fun match for Rabakina because Rabakina absolutely destroyed Sabalenka. She won the first eight games, I believe. I think she was up 8 nothing. And she ended up winning 6-0-6-3. It was an absolute clinic from Elena's perspective. And yes, Sabalenka had no answers. I thought it was a pretty funny post-match little speech that Sabalenka gave where she basically thanked Rabakina for giving her three games and said that she appreciated, you know, uh, putting up a fight against her, which was, of course, sarcasm because Rabakina killed her. But I still thought it was a pretty funny moment. And I have to give props to Rabakina for dismantling Everybody in the tournament, especially the uh, top two player in the world. I've said it before. I still think Swiatek's number one in the world. I think Rabakina's number two, and I do think that Sabalenka is three. But you can argue that maybe Rabakina can push for the one spot over Swiatek. But after the United Cup, Swiatek won every match. There's no reason to think that she's not number one based on maybe not WTA rankings, but just based on personal perception rankings. I think Swiatek's the best player, just simply put. But I do think that Rabakina, as of right now, is number two. But props to her. She dominated. Props to Coco Goff, who came back from a set down against Svitolina as she won another title. So uh, Coco's solid end to 2023 is carrying over to the start of 2024. And maybe she could win a Grand Slam or two 
in the upcoming year. But that's going to wrap it up for the actual recap uh, of the matches and for just Sunday in general. Now it's time for the actual previews of the events. I think I'm going to start off with Auckland because Auckland is the event that I do have quarter draws for. So I'm going to start off there. Now for this event, it's been around for a while, actually. Auckland's been around quietly since 1956. Now they've not held this event for two of the last three years. It was held last year as Gasquet, if you might remember that, did win a title as he was able to beat Nori coming back from a set down as he ended up winning a title. Uh, did not get held in 2022 or 2021. Year before that, you saw Umber taking on Benoit Pair. Umber won. You saw Sandgren beating Nori in 2019. Agut ended up beating Del Potro in 2018. Sock won in 2017 against Zhao Souza. Batista Agut won it again in 2016 against Jack Sock. Vesely beat Manorino in 2015. Point is, a lot of different winners. In fact, you've seen a different winner in each of the last... Let me just make sure I got this right. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Each of the... Uh, nine. Each of the last nine times this tournament's been held, you've had a different winner. Now, Batista Gu did win it twice in that span, but not back-to-back. That's what I meant by that. But the point is, you might end up seeing a pretty fun tournament since it is a little bit unpredictable. Now, to look at the actual, uh, I'd say, quarter odds, once again, I'll go back to the outrights in a second, but I'm going to start off with the quarter odds. So just to be clear, by the way, you automatically will be getting a pretty open tournament based on where the odds are located. Uh, maybe automatically is a bit strong, but it should be a pretty open tournament because you have five separate players below plus 850. So it should be pretty open, at least at the top. Uh, Shelton's the favorite at plus 550, uh, and you have Nori at about 550, 6 to 1. So it should be a pretty fun event, should be somewhat up in the air, and based on what we've seen in years past, you might get a Cinderella run to the semis or to the final. So hopefully that ends up working itself out because you might be able to find yourself a very nice long shot that might be able to cash in for you. Gasquet is at this event, so there is a chance, albeit maybe slim, of a repeat. But we'll see what happens. Either way, to go through the actual quarter odds, you have Shelton as the favorite to win the first quarter at 2-1. to one. You have Monfi at 3-1. to one. You have Batista Gut at 350, Offner at 6 to 1, Shapo at 650, you have Morozan at 8 to 1, and Baina at 40 to 1. Baina's got no chance, so I'm not going to bother with him. We know that he's a Claycourt specialist. Now, Shelton had a pretty disappointing start to 2024 as he lost to Fulan in the first round. Wasn't surprised by it. Safulan's a good player. I just thought it was a bad matchup for Shelton, at least for a first match of the year type of matchup. But for the sake of the draw, does have a bye in the first round, then would face off against Morozan or Monfi. I'm going to assume Monfi, but that maybe could get interesting. So you can argue Monfi could beat Shelton. I do think Shelton's serve would be the equalizer, but you can argue that Monfi would be able to wear down Shelton over the course of a three-set match. We'll see, but I think Shelton would I'd probably be my lean there uh, to get into the quarterfinals. As for the other section in this quarter, you have Agut against Baina, Agut's a massive favorite, and you have Shapo taking on Offner. Now, Offner had a good run in the last event he was in in Hong Kong. Did a lose to Rusevori in three. I thought he looked good, though. Now, Shapo has not played for a while. He has not played yet in 2024. So you can argue that Russ might be an issue, and just overall inconsistency has kind of plagued Shapo for the last year and change. But I do think Offner is interesting uh, at this current price at 6-1. to one. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to get it done, but I do think that 6-1 to one is a pretty appealing option. So for me, I'm going to lean to Offner at 6-1. to one. I thought about maybe going Monfi at 3-1 to because he has had success in Australia in the past. 
Uh, but once again, he hasn't exactly played much tennis recently, so I am wondering how sharp he's going to look. I do think it's worth a shot, though, especially after watching Morozin get buried by a goot. I do think that Monfi should be able to beat him. So for me, I think I'm going to go with three picks here for the first quarter. Give me Shelton at 2-1, to one, give me Monfi at 3-1, to one, and give me Offner at plus 600. Moving on to the second quarter, you have Sarundolo as the favorite at plus 175. That's F Sarundolo. You have Purcell at 3-1. to one. You have Vukic at 5-1. to one. Tyro Daniel at 550. You have Bonzi at plus 550. You have Moore at 8-1. to one. And you have Panu, who is a local wild card at 100-1, to one, who has no chance in hell. So... The point is, Sarundolo gave it a pretty decent showing, uh, maybe a little bit against Agut. The score one was lopsided, but the match was kind of close. It just seemed like Agut won all the key points in that one. Now, Sarundolo, I do think, is the best player here uh, by a decent margin. So I do think he's worthy of being the favorite. Purcell, I think, is a bit of a head case, and I'm, I don't think he's that talented for an ATP-level player. However, he did give Rune a bit of difficulty, and the draw is kind of favorable for him. So Purcell does face off uh, face off against Panu in the first round, which is basically a buy based on how the odds are priced because you're looking at Purcell being like minus 2,000. So you're kind of looking at him getting a buy in the first round. You have Vukic taking on Taro Daniel. Now, Vukic did not play well in his first match of 2024, but I know that he does have a good serve, so maybe he could get past Taro Daniel. If I had to lean, I'd probably lean to Daniel. I just think Daniel's the better player. Daniel's also 1-0 in the head-to-head as he beat him on hard court back in Shangdu last year. So the point is, I do think Tyro Daniel would end up beating him. That match did go three, but I think for the sake of the odds here, I think I have to lean to Daniel. I think Daniel's a good player, and I think he's kind of underpriced here. I'm not saying that he's got a lot of firepower, he brings a lot of unique attributes, but he's consistent. And I do think that his return game can give Purcell some problems. Purcell's a servant volley guy, but I do think that his rallying skills can use a little bit of work, and sometimes does get impatient. But I think Tyro Daniel would have an edge in some of these longer rallies, so I actually don't mind Tyro Daniel at plus five fifty. Besides that, I really don't see much. I wouldn't pick Purcell to win the event uh, to win the uh, quarter. I mean, because I do think that Sarandolo is better than him. Bonzi's interesting, but I don't think I have enough faith in him to get the job done. Uh, let me just quickly check to see what Bonzi's draw is. If it's favorable, maybe I'll consider it. But I'm. It's against Moore and then Sarundolo. He should beat Moore. Sarundolo's a bit tricky, though. And then he would have to beat uh, potentially Daniel afterwards. So not exactly the easiest draw for Bonzi. I think I'm going to lean to Daniel uh, at this price at 550. But I am going to go with Sarundolo as well because I do think talent-wise, he's the best player in this quarter. So moving on to the third quarter, you have Felix as the favorite at plus 175. You have Fees at 2-1. to one. You have Mickelson at 4-1. to one. Giron at 650, Gasquet at 11 to 1, Altmaier at 16 to 1, and Borges at 18 to 1. So Altmaier and Borges for me have no chance. So apologies if you were expecting a serious long shot in the first three quarters. I can't help you. As for the actual winners of the quarter, Felix, I haven't exactly seen in a while, but he did finish last year in good form after a disastrous nine, ten months. Uh, but he did win a title at the end of last year. So we'll see what he can potentially do in this particular event. Should he be the favorite? Eh, probably. I think you can argue that Fees should be a co-favorite, uh, but to go through the actual path of both players, it's interesting because Felix does have a buy. That's the main reason why he's the favorite because Fees does have to face off against Gasquet in the first round, who is the defending champion. Mickelson does have a decent draw where he gets to face off against Borges in the first round, 
The problem is, I think I think that Mickelson is one of the most overhyped, uh, I'd say, American prospects that I've seen in a while. Not just because of the fact that I don't think he's as good as the odds suggest, but it seems like, once again, because he made a deep run in Newport last year against somewhat weak competition. I know he beat Isner, but Isner ended up retiring at the end of the year, so that win wasn't as impressive. It seems like Mickelson just has a lot of hype around him because he was good on the challenger level. But every time I've seen him try to step up in the ATP level besides the one Newport event on grass, he's been kind of terrible. And I feel like nobody's really held him accountable for it. He was one of the favorites to win the next-gen final in 2023, and he didn't even make it out of the group stage. And then we saw him uh, really just struggle in most of the hardcore events he was in in the ATP level uh, in 2023. So I don't really think Mickelson's that good. And I do think that he's overpriced once again. Part of it's based on the draw, because Borges, he should beat, in my opinion. I think Fees is going to beat Gasquet. I know Gasquet won the title last year, but I do think that Fees is the better player. So I do think, based on the draw, uh, Felix is definitely the beneficiary of the best possible draw here. As Fees on the other side against the defending champion, and he's got to buy into a matchup against Giron and Altmaier. I'm assuming Giron is going to win that one because Giron is a pretty good hardcore player. I do think for the sake of the odds here, though, I think I got to look for either Felix or Giron. I think 650 for Giron is a very good price. Now, Fees is definitely the arguably most talented player here. You can argue Felix has more talent, but he's been more consistent over the last year. The problem is it is really not a great draw for fees. So I do wonder if you might think it's worth skipping over fees at two to one. I think I might do that, actually. I, I just think that it's a pretty interesting draw for fees. And he did play in one of the events over the past week. So fatigue could be a bit of an issue. But I do think that Felix at plus 175 is worth consideration based on the draw. And I do think that Giron is worth consideration as well at plus 650. Assuming that Giron does get past Altmaier, which he should, then you're guaranteed to have somebody in the quarterfinal match. And with that being the case, I have to like that potential. So give me Giron at 650 and give me Felix at plus 175 as my picks for the third quarter. Moving on for the final quarter, you have Nori as the favorite at plus 140. You have Dezan Chulp at 3-1. to one. You have Eubanks at 6-1, to one, Wolf at 7-1, to one, Gojo at 7-1, to one, Van Asch at 11-1, to one, and you have Tabilo at 18-1. to one. Now, Nori I was very critical of last year because he was in the middle of a very down year. You can kind of compare it in a way. Not ex it doesn't really apply to the Casper Rude uh, actual season because Rude had at least made it to a Grand Slam final. But they had somewhat decent expectations, especially Nori after the 2022 season, where he actually made a decent amount of finals, won a couple of titles. Then Nori had a pretty good start to last year as he was able to beat Alcaraz and win a clay event. And his entire season fell off a cliff. So it does seem like Nori may, have, may or may not have gone back on track, at least early on. Early indications suggest that. Because he was good in the United Cup. Now, Great Britain didn't exactly make a deep run, but I thought Nori looked pretty good. So you can argue maybe Nori regained his form, and we'll see what happens. Now, I do want to at least mention the actual matches he played in the uh, United Cup. So he ended up losing to Zverev in uh, late last year. Then he lost in the Davis Cup to Djokovic. Then in the United Cup, he ended up losing to Fritz, and he was able to beat Dimenauer. And Dimenauer actually had a really good run where he made the top 10 because of how well he played in the last couple rounds of the United Cup. So beating Dimenauer is actually a very impressive win. And Fritz was not exactly in great form, so you can argue that loss isn't 
the best, but it was still competitive. It was close, but he got to face off against two top 10, top 12 guys, and he was competitive in both, did win one. So Nori's in decent form, but the main reason why he is such a cheap price to advance to the semifinals is because he's been a runner-up here multiple times. He ended up losing in the final in 2019, and he ended up losing in the final in 2023. So he has made deep runs in the past, which could bode well for him in this event. But to go through his actual path, Nori's path is pretty good, as he has a matchup against Wolf or Vanasha after a bye in the first round. On the other side, though, you have Gojo taking on Tabilo, and you have Eubanks taking on Dezanshulp. I want to make a case for Eubanks, but I don't think he's a good player either. I mentioned it last year after his deep run in Wimbledon. I thought he was one of the most overrated players on the entire tour, and then he was awful for the rest of the year. So I had a pretty good read on Eubanks where he made one good run because he has a great serve, and it seemed like when he went back to hardcore after that, he really underachieved. And it's not that surprising because I don't think he's got a lot of rally tolerance. I think that his impatience gets the better of him most of the time. And besides the great serve, I know he's got a one-handed backhand. He's got a lot of firepower. He has a lot, a lot of unforced errors in his game. And I feel like that's going to be an issue. So for me, I do think based on where the odds are located, I do think Nori should get the job done. I will admit, though, a second-round match against Wolf or Vanash isn't exactly the easiest matchup, but I do think Nori should probably get the job done there. The question is, do I feel like I need somebody in the other half. And if I do, I think I'd go with Gojo at 7-1. to one. I like Gojo's game, just simply put. I think that he's the kind of guy who can match Eubanks, serve for serve. But Gojo, I do think, is a little bit better with the rallies. So I do think based on the current price point, the Zanshop, I'm not going to take it 3-1. to one. I just think of him as a choker, and I don't exactly trust him to actually make deep runs in these ATP events. He made a deep run last year, choked in the final, uh, or... He choked in, I don't remember if it was the final or if he choked in the semis. I think it was the final against Rune, where he had a bunch of match points and he blew them all. But the point is, I do think that Nori is worthy of being the favorite at plus 140. The fact that he's been to a final here twice tells me his game translates well to this particular environment. So I am an only to Nori at plus 140, and I will take Gojo at 7-1. to one. Should be Tabilo, and he's got a good serve that can go blow for blow against against uh, Eubanks or Zanshulp. So I do think Gojo is worth a look at 7-1. to one. So once again, my picks for the quarters. First quarter is going to be Shelton at 2-1, to one, Munfi at 3-1, to one, and I will go with Offner at 6-1. to one. Second quarter will be Sarundalo at plus 175, and Taro Daniel at plus 550. Third quarter will be Felix at plus 175, and I am going to go with Giron at 650. I'm going to skip over Fees, even if I do think he's got a chance to win it. I just don't think 2-1 to one is a good enough price. And for the fourth quarter, I am going to go with Nori at plus 140, and Gojo at 7-1. Now, as for the actual outrights to win this particular event, Shelton at plus 550, I don't think I trust him enough. Once again, I know he was great at the end of last year, but we've seen Shelton in his career be very, very streaky. Now, when it's bad, it's really bad. When it's good, it's really good. He made a semifinal in the US Open last year, but I do think that Shelton's game is a little bit too inconsistent for me. And I think he's still a little bit too dependent on the actual serve. And he's also pretty impatient in rallies. So I do think that he's in line to struggle in this matchup. To look at the actual, or I should say in this event, to read off the winners in the past. Once again, it's been Gasquet, Umber, Sangrin, Agut, Sock, Agut. Not many big servers. Ferrer won this event four times. So I do think looking at this tournament, 
it might benefit the patient rallyers, and that's going to hurt Shelton. So I think Shelton is actually not exactly in line for a good performance, at least for a trophy in the spot. I think he's good enough to win the quarter, but I do think that he's going to struggle to get beyond that. So I'm not going to pick Shelton at 550. Nori, uh, you know that I I have kind of flipped on Nori because he made us a lot of money in 2022. In 2023, he really was not good for us. But I think it's pretty telling that as a two-time runner-up, he's still plus 550 with a good draw. I think I am an only to Nori. He beat Dimenauer, uh in the United Cup, which is kind of telling to me. It's a pretty weak field. I think Nori I kind of have to take at about 550, so I'm going to go with him. Now, looking at everybody else, Felix at 6-1. to one. I think it's interesting. I don't think I'm going to go there because I still don't know if I could fully trust him yet. He showed some good signs, though, of the, at the end of 2023, but I need to see more. 6-1 to one for a guy like Felix, I just think is so cheap that I really can't afford to take it. I'm fine with the quarter draw, but I still don't know which Felix we're going to get, tournament in, tournament out. So I'm going to have to wait and see, and hopefully he impresses me, and maybe we can back him in the future. But Felix, I'm not going to overreact to a good last couple of tournaments that he played in 2023. He was still a mess for most of the season, and I do think that I have to pump the brakes a little bit and let Felix prove it to me one more time in 2024. So I'm going to pass on him. Monfi at 700, I think, is appealing. If you think his stamina can hold up. Now, his draw's not the greatest. He's got a pretty difficult quarter, but I do think he can get by uh, if you think that he can get past, like, Shelton or uh, Batista Goot, for example. But I think I'm going to pass on Monfi. The draw isn't exactly the most favorable, in my opinion, for him, so I'm going to pass on that. Now, Fees, I didn't pick to win the quarter. 8-1, to one, I do think, is too cheap for that quarter, so I'm going to pass on him. A good at 11 to 1, I'm not going to take either. I mentioned how he's older. I don't trust his stamina playing consecutive days. And he also had a decent run over the past week. So I'm not going to pick him to make a deep run in this one. Sarundalo at 14 to 1, I think I have to take. You can argue that there are better hardcore players at this event, but the quarter is pretty favorable for him. And I think he's worthy of being the favorite in his quarter. Anytime you're a favorite to win a quarter and you're 14 to 1 to win the event, that's kind of automatic value because you are expecting him to make it to the semis at least, and maybe he could hedge from that point forward. So I think I am going to lean to Sarundalo at 14-1. to 1. I do like that price quite a bit, and I think that is a bit off. I think he should be closer to the 10-1 to 1 range, in my opinion. Uh, moving on, though, looking at everybody else I might be tempted by, Offner at 2,000 is interesting, but his odds to actually win the quarter are still high, so I don't know if it's worth taking a plus 2,000. So I do think looking at this spot here, I think you're looking at what should be one of the main guys winning. You can argue that maybe a good rallier can make a somewhat respectable run, but I do think one of the favorites will end up winning this particular event. I don't know which one it's going to be. I'm going to lean to Nori, but I do think you're looking at what should be a pretty fun uh, tournament, and I do think that if I had to pick anybody, you probably would lean to Nori. I think Sarandola, once again, makes a somewhat deep run, if you wanted a long shot of any kind, do I think Gojo or Daniel have potential? I think I probably would pick Gojo because I actually don't mind his draw, uh, especially since, I mean, he's against, uh, I mean, it's it's an okay draw, I guess. I don't want to spend too much time on Auckland, by the way, but I'm trying to be thorough. But, I mean, he faced off against Eubanks or Dezanshulp. I think he could get by there. And the problem is Gojo would have to face off against Nori in the quarterfinals. But... 
I think there might be some value on him. So I think I actually am going to consider it. Giron at 3,500, I do think is actually appealing to me. I know Felix, once again, can win that quarter, but I think 3,500 is a big price for Giron. I've seen Giron beat some good players in the past. I think he's a good hardcore player. I do think I have to at least consider taking the... Uh, I think I have to at least consider taking Giron. I think that's going to be my choice. I'm going to go with Giron at around, I believe it was 35 to 1 was the best price that I saw. Let me just confirm that. Is there a better price on Giron? If there's a better price, I'm going to take it. No. So I see 35 to 1. Let me quickly just shop around. I know, sorry if I'm a bit all over the place, but once again, when you see a tournament where, historically speaking, you have good ralliers perform well, you might have to consider taking some guys that you just think have the stamina and the ability to outlast opponents in pretty long matches. And I do think looking at the price point, yeah, I think Euron's worth something at 35 to 1. So once again, my picks for the outrights for Auckland, I'm going to take Nori at plus 550. I'm going to take Sarundalo at 14 to 1. And give me a long shot spin there with Giron. I thought about Gojo, but I don't think he's good enough to actually win the event. So give me Giron instead at 35 to 1. Now, I promise you Adelaide is going to be a lot shorter because of the fact that we don't have quarters for this event. So we're going to go straight into the outrights. Now, looking at the actual outrights, you have Tommy Paul as the favorite at 5 to 1. You have Korda at plus 500 as well. I can't stand Korda. Uh, Jari at plus 550. Shevchenko at 8 to 1. Bublik at 8 to 1. Kekmanovic at 14 to 1. Musetti at 14 to 1. Spoiler, he's way, way too cheap. Uh, you have Asunago. At 16 to 1. Koganakis at 17 to 1. Hijikata at 20 to 1. Arnaldi at 20 to 1. Evans at 20 to 1. You have McDonald's at 22 to 1. Jordan Thompson, fresh off of that impressive showing in Brisbane at 25 to 1. O'Connell at 25 to 1. Fuxovic at 28 to 1. Laheshka at 28 to 1. After winning a set against Djokovic in the United Cup, you have Papyron at 28 to 1. And you have a bunch of other. Uh, options. Decent amount of guys, though, who are 4,000 or less, so they're kind of viewing it as being an open tournament, and I really don't disagree. Now, to go through the actual uh, immediate takeaways without actually looking at the quarters for a second, I think, as I said before, Musetti, way too cheap. He's not good enough on hardcore. 14 to 1's insane. He should be somewhere in the 20, 25 to 1 range. So Musetti is eliminated just based on price alone. As for everybody else, I do wonder if I can trust Bublik in a tournament like this, because we know he's capable of winning hardcore tournaments, but damn, he's a head case. So I don't think I could trust Bublik either, at least based on first glance. Once again, I'm going to reevaluate once I look at the quarters. But I do think it makes a lot of sense for Paul and Korda to be favored. I'm not taking Korda. I'm going to lose my mind if Korda wins this event, because we took him last event, and he lost in the first round as like a minus 400 favorite against Hoffman. So I'm going to lose my mind if Korda wins it, but I can't pick him. Uh, so I do think Paul should be the favorite. We know that he's been a pretty consistent player uh, who is very good in these hardcore, tough environments, made an Aussie Open semifinal last year. So I do think he can... Was that last year or two years ago? I think it was last year he made the semifinal. If I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But the point is Paul has made an Australian Open semi in the past. So I do think that... Uh, he is capable of handling the conditions in Adelaide. Do you want to mention the winners in the past? Had a, had a Cinderella win it last year, as you saw uh, Quan make that lucky loser run as he beat Batista Agut in, in the three sets uh, for the final. You saw Djokovic beat Korda in the final in the first version of Adelaide. 
A reminder, they had two separate Adelaide tournaments in 2022 and 2023. Uh, you had Kokonakis win it in 2022 against Rinderknich, and you had Monfi win it in 2022 against Kashanov, and you also had Rublev win it in 2020. So I guess I understand why you can find Kokonakis this cheap at 17-1. to 1. It's because he's won this event in the past. I'm not taking Kokonakis. Like, I don't think he's good enough to win the event. So I'm not going to take Kokonakis either at 17 to 1. But having said that, now that we've eliminated a couple of players, I am going to dive into the actual draw. So as for Tommy Paul, he has a bye, then a matchup against the qualifier, then either Baez, Draper, McDonald, or Kekmanovich. So out of those four, I think I'd probably lean to Draper out of those four. So I think that Draper might be worth consideration. Don't have quarter odds, though. But I do think Draper is worth a look, especially as a potential choice to make a somewhat respectable run in this event, unless he dropped out, because I don't see odds for him at the moment. I don't know why I don't see odds for him. Uh, let me just quickly check to see if he dropped out, and I just didn't know about it, uh, because it's kind of weird. I see odds for a lot of players except for Draper, which I find fascinating, and Draper's had a history of injuries. So let me just quickly check if at the last minute Draper did withdraw from Adelaide. Uh, so let me just quickly see if any news dropped regarding him. Uh, I don't believe anything did. So let me just quickly see. But the point is, assuming that he didn't drop out, I like the path for Draper. I think he's in line for a good showing. Yeah, I don't see anything about Draper dropping out of Adelaide. So I'm going to assume it was just a slight miss by DraftKings in this case, where they just forgot to include a guy, uh, which occasionally happens when you have that many players in an event. So I think Draper's worth consideration to potentially win a quarter. Uh, but once again, we don't have quarter odds available. But yeah, I think Draper, best price I currently see on him is... Uh, sorry, let me just see if I could find a price on him. Yeah, I see him being pretty cheap. He's around like 6-1, to one, give or take, uh, at least on the one book that I found him at. I can't really disagree. I think Draper, when healthy, is a really good hardcore player. The issue is durability, because he seems to always get hurt. So... I think Draper's interesting to win the quarter. I don't know if I trust him to win the actual event, but I do think he's in line to beat Baez in the first round. But I think I'm going to lead to Tommy Paul in that quarter. Uh, I think he'll face off against Draper, so you can make an argument either way. But Draper at 6-1 to is a bit cheap for a guy who I don't trust durability-wise. Now, moving on to the next quarter, you're looking at uh, Musetti getting a bye in the first round and facing off against either Thompson or a qualifier. I'm curious how much Thompson is left in the tank, but I probably would link to Thompson to beat Musetti head-to-head uh, because Thompson looked great against Nadal and against Dimitrov. No shame in losing in straight sets to Dimitrov since he won the entire event. So Thompson gave Dimitrov a run for his money. No shame there. I think Thompson's pretty alive to win that quarter. As for the other section, you have Hitchikata taking on Evans, and you have a qualifier taking on Bublik. I kind of like Evans here. I think Evans is, is a pretty sneaky player in this spot, and I have seen him make some good runs in the Australian Open in years past. So I know he's not going to be affected that much by the actual climate, and I do think that Evans is definitely a guy that I think can make a respectable run in this event. I think I'm going to lean to Evans uh, in this quarter. I'm going to lean to him and Thompson. I'm definitely not going to go with Musetti. That's definitely not going to happen. So I think for this quarter, I'm going to stay away from Bublik because I think that he's a little bit untrustworthy still. So I am going to go with Thompson. I'm going to back the current form and a little bit of a home crowd edge. And I am going to go with Evans as my two picks for the second quarter. Uh, once again, no quarter odds yet, but I'm just going through the actual draw, telling you what my initial thoughts are. Now, moving on 
to the next quarter, you're looking at what should be an interesting one where Shevchenko has a pretty good chance to actually get it done here. He's against Echeverry in the first round. Echeverry did finish the se- season uh, in 2023 pretty good on hard court, but Shevchenko's been great uh, recently, and he brought Rune to three sets. Korda has a bye, then a matchup against either Hoffman again or Sonigo. And Sonigo, I think, is a head case too, but he's still a talented player that can maybe give Korda a run for his money. Now, Korda did make a deep run last year, probably should have beaten Djokovic in that match, and then ended up losing in three. The point is, I can't take Korda. I don't trust him enough. Can he win the quarter? Sure. Maybe I'm being a bit spiteful, but I think I've earned it at this point since Korda's burned us a lot of money over the last year. I'm going to link to Shevchenko, actually. I think Shevchenko's a good enough player to actually pull off some upsets, and I think that he's got a pretty good draw in the first couple rounds. Give me Shevchenko as my pick to win the third quarter. And moving on to the final quarter, we're going to look at the favorite being Jari. And he's got a bye, followed by a matchup against either Arnaldi or Fuksovics. Pretty fun. You have an immediate rematch between Arnaldi and Fuksovics after the three-set marathon they had about a week ago. As for the other sec- as for the other half of the section, you have Laheshka taking on Papyrin, and you have Lahovich taking on Kokonakis. Pretty fun little you know quartet of players there. I think Papyrin's got a decent shot to actually get through that, but the point is I don't really feel great about taking anybody for that uh, section because it could go to any of those four guys. So I think I'm going to stay away from them. I think I have to lean to Jari. I think that Jari with the bye, Arnaldi and Fuksovics are pretty good, but Jari's serve is going to be a massive edge against both those guys. So I'm going to lean to Jari to win the fourth quarter as my choice. So now that we've covered all the quarters, now it's time to actually talk about the outrights. So Paul at 5-1, to one, I think I'm going to go with him because I do think that his game translates well to these courts, and I think he's one of the more consistent guys in this field. Now, court I'm going to pass on because I can't stand the guy. I know he can make a deep run. He almost beat Djokovic last year. If he wins it, I wouldn't be shocked, but I'd be pissed. So I'm not going to pick Korda out of spite. I'm going to put him in temporary timeout where I'm not going to back him. Uh, but for Jari, I think I have to take him as well because I do like his draw at 550. Shevchenko at 8-1. to one. I like his chance, but the fact that he's 8-1 to one with Korda in the same section really makes 8-1 to one not that appealing because his draw is automatically going to be somewhat difficult if he faces off against Korda in the, in the uh, quarters. So I think I have to pass on Shevchenko. I like his game a lot. I recognize how much better he's played over the last couple months, but that's really not a great draw for him. And as a result, I don't think there's much value on him at this current price. So I'm going to skip Shevchenko, Bublik I'm passing on, Kegmanovic I don't think is good enough. I think that he can have moments where he makes some respectable runs, but he's also kind of a head case where he gets in his own uh, way more often than not, and I think he would be more likely to self-destruct against some good rallyers throughout this event. Musetti's an absolute joke of a price. Sonigo I'm not going to take, Koganagas I'm not going to take, Hijikata I'm not going to take. Arnaldi's interesting, but that first-round match against Fuksovics could go either way, so I'm not going to pick him either. And then he has face-off against Jari after that, which is not ideal. Evans, I think I am going to take. I like Evans. I think he's a good player. I've always been a fan of his for a long time. Uh, but the fact that he was able to win the ATP title last year, the fact that he kind of switched up his play style a bit to kind of, I don't want to say remove the backhand slice from his game, but he removes the frequency, at least the insane amount that he uses it. He used to use the backhand slice all the time. Now he kind of uses the one-hander a bit more, which I like. But I think 20-1 to is a good price for a guy that has proven in years past. He can handle Australia. He can make some deep runs, and I do think he's in a pretty good spot with this draw to maybe make a semi. 
And at 25 to 1, I found a 25 to 1. I do like that current price. Once again, to look at that draw, though, for Evans, he has a pretty favorable one. He has a shot to potentially go up against Bublik, which I think is a matchup that Evans can win. I think he's better than Hitchikata. I know Hitchikata's been in good form, but I think Evans would win that. And then you have Musetti in that quarter. So I think it's pretty open. So I am going to go with Evans at plus 2,000. I think I am also going to go with Thompson, who I think I have to consider taking a 25 to 1 because of how well he played in the last event. Yes, fatigue can be an issue. I'm not going to immediately dismiss it, but based on the form that I saw him play against Nadal and Dimitrov, he played too well to be in the 20, 25 to 1 range. So I got to go with him based on how well he looked or how, how solid he looked in the last event. That price does feel a bit off, especially in his home country. So once again, my picks for the outrights, I'm going to go with Paul at 5 to 1. I'm going to go with Jari at 550. I'm going to go with Evans at plus 2,500. And I am going to go with Thompson at plus 2,500. That's going to wrap it up, though, for the actual outrights. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks for the matches. Before we get into any of that, they're going to have a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite fantasy players all season long. NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball, and college football. Simply pick higher or lower on your favorite players' fantasy stats and cash in. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little money over Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. And remember, when you sign up, use the promo code SGPN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. It's Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. We're also brought to you by the Hockey Gambling Podcast because they just launched a new YouTube channel, and as a result, they're giving away a Hockey Gambling Podcast hoodie to celebrate. So enter the contest at sportsgampodcast.com slash HGP. That's sportsgampodcast.com slash HGP. We're also brought to you by Game Time. I don't know about all of you, but I personally love attending sporting events in person, and it can be very difficult to actually find a ticket provider that you can trust. That changed, though, for me when I found Game time, because game time is the fast and easy way to get tickets to pretty much any event you want, whether it's sports, concerts, if you want to go to a comedy show, for example, game time does have you covered. I do think my favorite feature with the actual platform is the images of seat views, which basically means that if you are going to think about buying a ticket, it will show you the exact view you would be getting if you purchase that ticket so you know exactly what you are going to be paying for, which can prevent you from getting an obstructed view, etc. But I do recommend using it. And they also have very solid flash deals for football, basketball, baseball, and concerts, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section or uh, and row for less. Game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Send tickets out the stress with game time. Download the game time ad, create an account and use code CFBX for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code CFBX for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger by betting smarter this end of all season with Hall of Fame Bets. Sports Center Analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea, no matter how ridiculous it might seem, into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. So stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN. You get 50% off your first month today. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. 
Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the outrights for Auckland and Adelaide. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go to a matchup between Echeverry and Shevchenko in Adelaide, and I am going to go with the favorite here. I am going to go with Shevchenko on the money line at minus 140. Simply put, I just think that he's the better hardcore player in this event. Echeverry is a guy who has never really been good on hard court. He had a decent showing for the last month or two in 2023. But I do think Shevchenko's been in better form. We saw Chaveri show up for Brisbane, lost in three sets to Makic in his first match, which isn't exactly an encouraging sign. As for Shevchenko, we saw him beat Vanash pretty comfortably in straight sets. Then we saw him lose in three to Rune. Rune was in good form throughout the event. Rune just eventually ran up against the guy in God mode in Dimitrov. But taking a set off Rune, I think it's pretty telling that there are certain levels in tiers with these two players on hardcourt. So give me Shevchenko to look like the better player here at minus 140. And then for the dog, we're going to repeat a play that we won with earlier in the calendar year. We are going to go with the over two and a half sets with Arnaldi taking on Fuksovic again at plus 125. We cashed this play a couple days ago. And you have the same exact matchup in the first round. I'm not expecting a different result here. Uh, once again, they play, they face off two times in their careers, one time this year in 2024 and one time last year in 2023, both in Australia. And each meeting did end up going to three sets. And on top of that, you are looking at the recent form of these players. Arnaldi's been a three-set magnet. He's gone to three sets in four of his last five matches. And you're looking at Fuksovic, who has gone to three sets in three of his last five matches. So both players are no strangers to marathons. We just saw them play against each other, and it was a war that could have gone either way. I think you're going to see a very competitive match. Give me a war once again. History to repeat itself at plus 125. So once again, the lock it up picks of the show. The lock's going to be on Shevchenko on the money line at minus 140. And the dog will be Arnaldi and Fuksovic's over two and a half sets at plus 125. Before we officially wrap up the show, though, I do want to briefly touch upon something that I probably should have mentioned earlier in the show. This is officially our 200th episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast. So I want to thank all of you who have tuned in from the way beginning, or if you even just stopped by along the way, thank you uh, for stopping by and for keeping this podcast on the air. I know the picks recently have not been great, so I do wish we were celebrating this milestone under better circumstances, but it is what it is, and hopefully we'll bounce out of it as soon as possible. But I do want to bring up the 200th episode besides saying thank you, because we are doing a giveaway. We are giving away a $50 SGPN gift card. We did this for the 100th episode, and we're going to do it again for the 200th episode. So the way that you enter the giveaway is you're going to leave a review on either Apple or Spotify, no matter how you consume, how, basically no matter uh, which way you consume the podcast, leave a review, and send me a screenshot on in, on uh, Twitter, at uh, Reichel Radio. Send me a screenshot of the review that you left, and I will pick a winner at random. I will compile all the reviews. I will do some type of random number generator, and whichever number coincides with the actual review will end up winning a $50 gift card. Once again, it's free to do. All you have to do is leave a review, and then once you do that, you will be entered into the drawing. I will probably announce the winner. I'd say at some point over the following weekend, I'm not going to rush into it. I'll give all of you time to leave some reviews, but we should be back for the quarterfinals in Auckland and Adelaide. So I'll probably announce the winner of that, uh, I'd say, contest in the semifinal episode taking place over the weekend. But once again, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Find me on Twitter 
at Rush Show Radio. Find me on a bunch of podcasts, the network, the NBA show, the NFL show. You get the drill. Until next time, though, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.